Welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Clues. Each week, I'll be leading a series of conversations with our team here at Carson Wealth, which are designed to equip our listeners with the helpful insights necessary to simplify the critical decision points of life. We believe that true wealth is the thing money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Furthermore, we also believe our calling is to enable others to fulfill their own. And to that end, we endeavor. Welcome back into this final part of our four-part series conversation with Sarah Dewey from our trust services team in Omaha and Tom Frederick from our advanced solutions team in Omaha on healthcare powers of attorney. In this last part of our conversation, we're going to talk about best practices for assisting our aging parents, um, how COVID-19 has changed this process, and also what happens if you potentially don't have this process in place prior to a healthcare event. As always, thank you for listening and your feedback. Uh, And let us know if there are any other topics or any other questions that you have following today's conversation. Welcome back in. Still in the same vein with regard to our aging uh, parents or even great-grandparents in some cases, what are some of the best practices um, for dealing with that topic and and, um, just making sure that the plan is everybody's comfortable with it and that it's in place from you all's perspective? Well, I think when we talk about parents and grandparents, the best advice is really you you don't want to wait for the emergency to do the planning. So this isn't one of those things that we put off. And so you want to make sure that they have a healthcare power of attorney in place. And maybe they already do. And so you think, well, they're good. But the other thing then you have to consider is, well, who is their agent? So if you have parents that are both alive, it might be, and it most likely is that they've named each other as their agent for these medical decisions. So as they age, it may make sense for your kids to consider whether or not each spouse should be the agent for the other one. Do they both have capacity? Is one lacking it? Is one not going to be able to make decisions for them? What if they are both in an accident together? Is there a successor agent named and who is that person? Because it wouldn't necessarily be improbable that they have a healthcare event together and they're both incapacitated. So you have to think about these situations as it relates to your parents and grandparents to make sure the document adequately protects them in situations that might arise. And when you have aging parents, even more so, they tend to spend a lot of their time together. So you just have to maybe think about that contingency. So Um, And then, of course, if one of them passes away, now you really need to look at that document and say, who was the agent? If if it was the one that passed away, now we need a primary agent and a backup because most documents, I would say, have the primary and one backup, maybe two. But you want to make sure that you know what it says versus just guessing and assuming that you know what it says. Understood. So with that in mind, too, how, from you all's vantage point, has COVID changed this conversation or has it not changed it that much? Well, I believe that it has heightened everybody's awareness of our mortality, unfortunately. Um, 
but hopefully it's also helped people get their estate planning done, um, maybe not be as complacent as they were uh, prior to COVID. But I think in this exact situation, like Tom was saying earlier, if you had a living will potentially that said, do not intubate. Well, one of the treatments for COVID was is intubation. Does that still apply? So reviewing that living will in light of this pandemic is a good idea to make sure that you still align with what that says, that you do or you do not want that. The other thing that has come up is we know there are major stressors on the healthcare industry, and many of these healthcare power of attorneys require that two doctors have to determine that you are incompetent and unable to make those decisions. Good luck finding two doctors right now in a situation mm-hmm. to be able to ter- mm-hmm. determine that. So is that the right choice? Would it Should it be one doctor mm-hmm. make that decision, decision versus two? And so just some things to be thinking about uh, as our healthcare system evolves and becomes, you know, it's harder to find doctors. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the next step that I'd like to, to look at too um, are what are some of the most common, we've, we've mentioned several of these as we go along, but what are some of the most common mistakes that you see that, hey, let's just go ahead and, you know, scrub, scrub the deck and make sure that we don't make these mistakes going forward. Um, in your mind, Tom, what, where, where would we start with, hey, just don't do this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think perhaps the biggest one is, and like you said, we talked about this, creating your healthcare power of attorney and then just putting it away and never going back to updating it. Like Sarah said, estate planning is not a one and done deal. It's something that you have to constantly update and you have to really think about, I created this document for this reason and I've named uh, my spouse as my agent to make these decisions for me, but what if something has changed in my life where I need to go back and revisit this? So many times people have a life event and they just don't go back and change their documents, whether it be a will or a trust or beneficiary designations, all of it. And so the healthcare power of attorneys probably even below those in terms of things that people really keep top of mind in terms of planning documents. I think most people probably think, I'll change my will, I'll get that done, or something like that, if they're thinking that way at all. But the healthcare power of attorney is probably closer to the bottom of the list. So I think that's one of those mistakes that people make around their healthcare power of attorney, because they don't really think about the the things that we've talked about today, societal changes, the impact of COVID, that might really affect that document. And Tom, if they don't have that document at all, if they just are so complacent that they didn't even create it, I think the realization that what's going to happen if I don't have a healthcare power of attorney and I am deemed incompetent of making my own healthcare decisions, then what happens? The court takes over. The guardianship is appointed. You don't even know who that guardian is going to be. Hopefully it's somebody who you trust. So that's the risk there is that yeah. you you don't have a healthcare power of attorney, you're deemed incompetent, you can't make decisions. And you know, even a temporary guardian could be appointed to make decisions for you. But it's a process and court supervised and to sort of try to unwind from that um, can be very difficult and cumbersome. Hmm. 
Now, are there any other, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, just not updating it, not being specific, um, not having it. Um, are there any, is there any risk with, say, we updated our wills, but we didn't update our, our power of attorney, um, healthcare power of attorney? Do they have to have the same date on them? Um, is it, you know, is there any risk in that? I wouldn't think so. I think as long as the document's been executed properly, the fact that it isn't, uh, doesn't align with your will or other documents is not going to be a factor. But I think sometimes what people do kind of related to that, uh, Josh, is they'll get their will done. They're fine with it. So they're leaving that in place. They realize they want to update their power of attorney and then they don't want to go back to the attorney just for that. And so they do it themselves. And there might be some mistakes they make around executing it and following the specific state law requirements around a legally enforceable healthcare power of attorney. So not that you can't do it on your own because there are ways to execute a healthcare power of attorney on your own without it without an attorney assisting you. But like anything else, there are risks around that when you do things on your own, like your taxes and and, uh, putting in that new kitchen sink. (laughs) It might work well, it may not. You might end up calling a plumber in the end and you might end up calling an attorney in the end. Not Um, that I know, I have any experience with this at all, but it's very, it's very, in that case, it's a good best practice to have your kids know where the main water shutoff is. Just pro tip. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Or have somebody down there right away standing yep. by when you turn the faucet on the first time. Yes. <laughs> but so that's a mistake I think that people can make uh, is that they, they try and do it on their own. They create their own and, and they may not have met all the legal requirements for the health care power attorney. Okay. Um, to put it in a little bit more of a positive spin and really just to synthesize some of what we've talked about what are the best practices that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today um, and make sure that they kind of measure their current plan against? I think best practice is, you know, just get it done. It's not that hard, you know, go for it and um, find a good estate planning attorney, talk to your financial advisor, have them help you, have them hold you accountable so Mm -hmm. that you get it done. Um, and maybe they can help coordinate with the estate planning attorney and then, you know, make it part of your annual review with your financial advisor. I'm sure they're going to bring it up with you. Um, if they're, if they're not, maybe you need to be working with a different financial advisor, but that's part of the whole package, true wealth and making sure you have all of your affairs in order. Um, overall, you know, it's, it's, it's a relief to actually get it done. So it may feel like a burden and it may feel overwhelming, but working with a team and then getting it done, it, it feels great. And then just keep keep it front of mind and keep it present. And and if you if you don't do it and you put it off and off and off, then it's going to really feel like a burden. But if mm-hmm. you kind of do it and then you just keep refreshing it, okay, yep, this looks good. This is what I want. Then it won't be as big of a ordeal, I guess, or a challenge to get just get over that hump getting it done. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would say that the best practice for me that helps me get some of my planning done and has been always to just think about my family first and wanting to put them in the best position possible 
Um, and that's really, I think if you can get clients to think about family and what the planning does for them, for their kids, for their spouse, for their parents, who's ever important in their life, the most important, um, just depending on where they are in life, that, that should help get them to take that first step towards doing the planning is think about your kids. If something happened to you and you don't have your documents in place, it's going to put them in a real bind or a situation that they're not going to know exactly how to handle, or it might lead to um, a situation where they're really put in a bad place versus what it could do if you did the right type of planning. And the other thing I think that can help people get started is, and, and I think Sarah touched on this, she said is, it's going to seem hard, but if you have the right professionals working for you, they'll make it easy for you, or at least easier. So it might seem complicated, and it is on some level, but that's why you have professionals there to help you. It's kind of like saying, well, I need to do this surgery, um, but I don't really know how to do it. You'd never try and do it on your own, and you would never put it off. You're going to go to a doctor to do that surgery, and that's the same with your estate plan. I need this estate planning done. I'm not going to put it off and I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to go to a professional to help me get it done. So I just think we have to position it in a way that people can understand how it's the same type of planning and action that needs to be taken to take care of you and your family. It's just done with a different professional. Yeah, absolutely. Very, a lot of wisdom embedded there. Um, well, I think that brings us to a close for our conversation today. Thank you both for your time. I've learned a lot and I look forward to uh, clients being able to enrich their current situation. But thank you both again. And we look forward to talking again soon. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, yeah. Tom. Thanks, Josh. Well, that is all for today. We appreciate your time and trust that you are better equipped to steward both your wealth and your financial resources. If you have questions or suggestions for a future topic, please direct those to infohouston at carsonwealth.com. Thank you again for joining us today. May you and your family encounter truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in the Wisdom and Wealth podcast of advisor and host are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisory Networks, LLC, a broker-dealer and a registered investment advisor, member of FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services also offered through CWM, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC is under separate ownership from the other named entity. Josh Clues is a non-producing registered representative of Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC. Our local address is 1780 Hughes Landing, Suite 570, Woodlands, Texas, 77380. Generally, a donor-advised fund is a separately identified fund or account that is maintained and operated by a Section 501c3 organization, which is called a sponsoring organization. Each account is composed of contributions made by individual donors. Once the donor makes the contribution, the organization has legal control over it. However, the donor or the donor's representative retains the advisory privileges with respect to the distribution of the funds and the investment of assets in the account. Donors take a tax deduction for all contributions at the time they are made, even though the money may not be dispersed to the charity until much later.